Hi, welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm here with Scott Nelson. Hey, Andy. Hi, Scott. How are you? Oh, man. Nihilism is starting to look pretty good. <laughs> another week. <laughs> I was going to say another day, another dollar. Maybe it's another dollar we don't have. So, okay, another it's been an emotional dollars. week here in Oklahoma, particularly in Oklahoma politics and government. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to discuss yesterday's press conference from the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. Um, talk about uh, maybe a recap of where we're at with several of these issues, the potential cuts to to DMH, to the Healthcare Authority, to DHS. And uh, I want to hit again on the State Department of Health situation because it's connected to, to kind of what we do. And I think that listeners that voters need to understand uh, and then we'll just see where it goes we honestly didn't prepare as well this week as we normally do we're, we're always prepared scott i see zero pieces of paper in front of you today it's because i've gone paperless <laughs> oh okay see i've got my computer now the <laughs> shuffling the shuffling i felt like was, so, was unprofessional a modern era on this podcast you know i mean we try to we try to do it right we've got we've got uh, the high-tech microphone the high-tech uh, the high-tech computer so i feel like I should use it rather than just shuffle paper, which is honestly where I'm more comfortable. I'm, I don't know, I don't know if it's growing up in the era of paper. You're a paper, paper person. I am. It just, for some reason, I feel like I think more clearly with it. So if I seem jumbled at all today, it's because I'm on a computer. It's the computer. It's making our lives easier. Before we really get into it, I do want to, again, highlight that uh, I remind listeners on November 3rd, we have our first real fundraising event coming up, uh, Bourbon. That's I didn't misspell Bourbon. It's B-O-U-R-B-U-N, Bourbon, because it's going to feature bourbon and steam buns. Bourbon, is that is that like whiskey? It is a type of whiskey. That's correct. Do you like whiskey, Andy? I uh, enjoy an adult beverage from time to time. Uh, but this is going to be a great event. It's going to be at uh, 612 in the Paseo. It's 612 Northwest 29th. It's a beautiful space if you haven't been there. And they have a new mural now that's great. I saw Amy Young, who's the proprietor there at 612 last night, uh, and she's very excited about the event. And I'm really excited to announce that we've gotten some sponsorships this week from a few organizations. They wanted to help offset the cost, and that will allow us to lower the cost of tickets to $50 each. So that's, I think, when we said it, it was an ambitious price and we knew it was high, and this is so exciting because we're really an organization about the people, and this will hopefully allow more people to come. You, you guys got to come. I mean, it really, that's like, it's, I mean, it's going to be a, it's a beautiful space, great whiskey, great food, uh, great people, if I do say so myself. Sure. The, the Let's Fix This crowd is a pretty great crowd. It's a great crowd, and I know that we'll have a number of legislators there as well, um, and so if if you want to have a chance to maybe come and um, meet and mingle and talk with them in a you know a less intimidating site than if, the Capitol. If you're um, nervous about talking to your legislator, uh, whiskey is an excellent <laughs> uh, confidence booster. Right. We'll have other beverages as well for those who don't, um, don't drink alcohol, which is totally fine. Um, so tickets are on sale right now on our website, letsfixthisok.org slash bourbon, B-O-U-R-B-U-N. Honestly, if you just go to the website, letsfixthisok.org, at the top, there's a banner. You can click and take you right there. You guys, you, you got to come, guys. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. It's going to be a great night. Okay, so jumping into where we're at today, 
Scott, did you watch the press conference yesterday? I, so I watched on Twitter. I was not able to. I was not able to to watch it live. So I was kind of watching it in between the stuff at work. So you read the the Twitter the yeah. text, not actually watched the video. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So uh, I know. I know the gist. Uh, I know my wife watched it live. She was pretty upset. My wife works in mental health. Um, so this is pretty devastating for the, for people who may not know what we're talking about. Yesterday, uh, Terry White, who is the commissioner, commissioner, right? Commissioner it's her Department official title, of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. Yeah, she held a press conference yesterday, basically saying that unless our legislature identifies a fix to this budget hole uh, that we find ourselves in, I'm not going to go into the details of the budget hole. We've done that every episode so far. So, <laughs> if you want details on why we're in a budget hole and how much it is, please see literally any of our previous episodes, all six of them. Yes. Um, Terry White had a had a press conference where she detailed that unless we find a fix for this, here are the real um, changes that are going to take place starting December first to mental health services in Oklahoma, and really November first. November first. Oh, I thought that the, I thought that they would start. I thought they were going to start implementing cuts November first, but the full effect was December one. Is that not right? I think that's correct. Okay. Yeah, but they've got a. They get to, it takes like a month to figure out how this the logistics of all well, this. Well, the amount of money they will receive from the state will start decreasing in November, okay. and they've got to start. Yeah, consolidate. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it amounts to is an end to all outpatient services provided by the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. And so that... That includes everything. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a litany of things that you might not even expect. Well, and so, I mean, the thing that first came to mind for me as someone who is a mental health professional for most of my career um, is the large community health center, community mental health centers like here in Oklahoma City, that's NorthCare, Red Rock, Hope Community Services places like that. Um, it will include some inpatient child psychiatric care, all of the, uh, the substance abuse providers across the state, some individual therapists. I have friends that are therapists. Um, I, got, I immediately started getting text messages from people looking for a job um, that are at like state-funded organizations that are like, oh man, uh, it's, really, it's really honestly kind of scary. Well, it's terrifying. And especially, I mean, there's other programs that I think you know, this is kind of one of those, we've talked about the health department in, in past episodes and how they kind of do a job that goes largely unnoticed until uh, it's noticed by everyone, which is a situation that's usually bad. Um, mental health and substance abuse services, they have programs like a child abuse prevention program. So this is a program that identifies um, families and families and, and parents that are in situations that may put them at risk for harm to a child, like a biological child or a foster care child, and tries to take steps to intervene before that happens. Now, is that is that a DMH-funded program or a health department-funded program? I thought that was DMH. Is that health department? Well, because they announced something else earlier in the week on Monday, I believe, that was a child abuse prevention program that was going to be cut. The $3 million. Yes. Does that sound right? That, yeah. Um, so that's Department of Health. See, the problem is... Everything having to do with healthcare in the state of Oklahoma right now is getting gutted, and so sometimes it's hard to keep straight uh, which agency is going to see a drastic reduction in their funds and which vulnerable population is going to be hurt the most. <laughs> Scott's a physician, and he's anxious about this. Um, <laughs> I, so, to, to uh, that's an important distinction, though. I think is yeah, absolutely, that, absolutely. Um, and here's why: is that the the state is hurting across the board. The cuts that to DMH, to DHS, and to the healthcare authority or Sunacare, those are directly attributable to the tobacco fee being ruled unconstitutional. However, that is very different than the furloughs and the cuts 
announced by the Department of Health, just health, not mental health, because uh, they were cutting like 10 million and 3 million of that was um, this child abuse prevention program. Those cuts are related. Um, they weren't affected by that. None of the tobacco money was going to them. And so they didn't actually lose anything. And there's a lot of people asking questions and wondering what's going on. In fact, the commissioner of the Department of Health, Terry Klein, uh, after they announced the furloughs and the cuts, called the state inspector, Gary Jones, and asked him to come in and audit the agency to find out what's going on. Sidebar, the fact that they're both named Terry also... Oh, Terry and Gary. Oh, both the... Yes, Terry yes. Klein, Terry White. Yes, and I think Terry Klein used to be at the Department of Mental Health and then moved over. So you'll forgive the uh, the omission know. there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, or the confusion. So here's from what I've heard um, is that stuff at the health department, sadly, has not been totally on the up and up for quite some time, and so the cuts there um, may be due to poor management inside, which I. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think lawmakers are worried about. And so when they keep saying government's too big, we need to cut, they're afraid there's waste, fraud, and abuse. And we all know, I mean, in some cases there are. I don't think that there's $215 million of it. No. But maybe five or ten, you know, around uh, different agencies. And so my issue, and I may have said this last week, I don't remember, but if Commissioner Klein has been at the Department of Health for, I don't know, five or six years now, and is complaining about mismanagement. Why didn't he ask for an audit earlier? If he had walked in the door and said, you know what, let's take stock of where this agency's at. It's a big agency. Lots could go wrong. Lots of moving parts. Lots of turnover. And kind of got their books uh, correct in the first place. And then this happened. That's a different story. But um, I'm, I wonder. I mean, it seems, like, it seems like a classic way to kind of throw middle management under the bus. Of like, oh, these people don't know what they're doing. Clearly, they're the ones hosing the system up. It's not me, though, at the top. I'm I'm above reproach. And there's an expression, I think it's in Saving Private Ryan, that uh, crap flows uphill, right? Yes. And, um, and so that's, in this case, we really need leaders to take responsibility and to lead. Yeah, I mean, no, you, I mean, you're, you're 100% right. Now, to kind of pivot back, to pivot back to mental health and substance abuse services, yes. I think that that's what Commissioner Terry White is trying to do. Yeah, and I she's think been a great job. Absolutely, in, I, in my opinion, whole wholeheartedly agree. No, I think that that's what she's trying to do is kind of get out in front of this and say, "Hey guys, you know, ring the alarm bell. This is a five alarm fire. If these cuts take place, here is what we're going to lose." Right. Um, and you know, I think that one of the things that happens in conversations like this is the the magnitude of what budget cuts like this mean for people in our state can can sometimes go underappreciated because I think that people tend to think of things like mental illness specifically as a like rare thing. It doesn't affect that many people. I don't really know anybody who struggles with mental health. They think of things like schizophrenia. They think of things like bipolar disorder, things that they see in horror movies about serial killers. But um, also I want to make very clear I know there are lots of movies about that. I'm in no way suggesting that people with mental illness are in any way more violent than the general population. There's actually substantial data that suggests they're not. So if you or a member of your family know someone who suffers from bipolar disorder or paranoid schizophrenia, please understand I am not calling them a serial killer. That's but just how those things get portrayed in media. Public perceptions um, and whatnot. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. But that's, you know, sidebar, disclaimer, over. Um, depression is incredibly common. Anxiety disorder incredibly common. It's common in kids. It's common in, common in adults. 
and these are services um, that the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse would be forced to eliminate that help people in all of our communities deal with those things. It's if the cuts came down the way that they have talked about, which the whole deal is that the Department of Mental Health is slated to lose about a third of their total budget funding. 23%. Yeah. Uh, so a fourth, I guess. Um, and That, those... however, does not include, because this is $75 million, that doesn't include $103 million in federal matching funds. Oh, right. So, so this a is a bigger chunk. So this is $75 million from the state budget, but the actual total would be $178 million when so, you factor in this hundred and six. Right. Excuse me, 170, 100 and what is 75 plus 106? 81, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be $181 million total. That's a big chunk of change. And this would really be a worst case scenario. Now, the on top of the DMH cuts, there would also be DHS cuts. Mm-hmm. Which impacts a lot of the same people. Right. Ed Lake was there yesterday for the press conference. And really, hats off to Terry White. Yesterday's press conference was well represented in many regards. I mean, there was... Juvenile affairs. Juvenile affairs. Um, a lot of substance abuse providers. Hospital DHS, association. Hospital association. Police. Mm-hmm. Um, the DA's office. The DA's, the Chamber of Commerce. Chambers. Chambers of Commerce. Oh, yeah, that's right. Norman was there. Um, Oklahoma City was there. Norman was Scott, there. Former Rep. Scott Martin was there. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, I, my understanding is that uh, Representative Martin was well-liked in the legislature before he took his job with the um, the Norman Chamber. And he was at the end of his, of his uh, term there. But he, so his presence there, I'm sure, is on purpose um, to be like, hey, man, this is not okay. He came to one of our events and was very... Uh, very thoughtful and courteous and um, approachable, I think, by everyone when we were in Norman. And so, yeah, these cuts would be would be devastating. We talked about, I think, last week about the nine percent cut to medical providers that would happen for Sooner Care, yep. um, and how devastating that would be to healthcare in Oklahoma. And so, all of this really is kind of a worst case scenario. And I think that Terry White played the right card in saying. Hey, listen, guys, this is a reality check, and this is reality. Like, they're going to have to cut a lot of stuff. I, I told um, Jordan with Fox 25 yesterday, if my, if my paycheck was cut by a third, I would have to make some pretty drastic cuts Absolutely. in a hurry. I mean, things like housing and food, we get, I'd have to scale back. And, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't know. Do I stop driving a car? You know, like things that would make my life fundamentally different. And right. that's where the state's at. Our, our state's life would be fundamentally different. Right. Now, can I ask you, Scott, do you think that's what will happen next week? Honestly, if you put a truth serum in me, I think probably not. You know, I think what's going to happen is they're going to come back from session. Um, they're going to try to pass the cigarette tax again. It's not going to pass um, because the what, what we've seen in the past and what I keep hearing is that Without significant Democratic support, which they won't get, the Republican caucus does not have enough to pass it on their own, Um, enough meaning 76 votes. Um, So then what they're going to do is they're probably going to find any measures they can pass with 51 votes only. So these would be things like tax exemptions, you know, things that we refer to as loopholes. Mm -hmm. Um, So they'll, you know, they'll redistribute some of the funds they appropriated from the rainy day fund. uh, And then they'll probably have you know, across the board cuts in the neighborhood of like one and a half, two percent to all agencies. And that's where we'll end up. And that's where they'll let it stand until November or until uh, February when they come back into session. Now, the question 
the the the, the thing that um, if you take a step back and are not looking at it as much from a policy perspective, but more kind of the political junkie kind of political intrigue perspective, the X factor in all of this is the governor, right? Because the governor could make things a lot more complicated if she follows through on the threat that she's now made twice to veto any budget that includes cuts. She said she would do that in the spring, and she didn't. I, I think it's more of a comment than a threat, but I, well, I, I it, see you your know. point there. <laughs> so I, uh, Scott, I'm with you. I think that they will come back next week, probably Monday. Uh, I just saw on Twitter that the Capitol will reopen as scheduled uh, on Monday, and so I think they'll come back. They'll run tobacco tax. It will likely fail. They'll pass a few other things. They'll move some one-time funds over. They'll raise. They'll find up. You know, come up with about a hundred and fifty million dollars uh, to fill that two hundred and fifteen million dollar hole, and then they'll roll out cuts. Um, they'll instead of just cutting three agencies, they will cut like two percent from everybody. It includes education and DOC and places that can't be cut. They may try to hold a couple of folks harmless, like education. We'll see. Um, they may even throw in like a five hundred dollar a year teacher pay raise, which. Let's be honest. There was a story last week about that teachers in Texas make nineteen thousand more than teachers in Oklahoma. But five hundred bucks, man, you gotta make you feel good. Right. I was like, hey, if you get a five hundred dollar raise, that means teachers in Texas only make eighteen thousand five hundred dollars more than you. It's nice to feel loved. Totally different. <laughs> um, so, and here's the deal: the majority party, minority party, hullabaloo with the tobacco tax. It, everyone, everyone I know supports tobacco tax, including the Democrats. Yes. They just don't support it by itself, right? And I think what what they're forcing what uh, they're forcing us to live with is that we can either they can either pass the tobacco tax and they won't pass anything else. They won't even try it. They'll just take that and go home. So it's either take that tobacco tax, which is well liked, but does disproportionately affect people that are lower income, and it will be reducing. It'll go down in future years, right? As people stop right. smoking, we'll get less and less money from it. So it's right. not a long-term solution. And people will stop smoking, which is excellent, right? I mean, people right. stopping. I mean, people <laughs> stopping smoking saves the state a lot of money in long-term healthcare costs. I mean, people not smoking is an unequivocally good thing. However, right. because we know there's good data that says a tax like this will reduce smoking rates, we also know that it's not a good long-term solution for revenue. Right. You know, speaking of tobacco, this is um, a little off the topic of the budget situation, but T-Set, which we all, everyone loves to like, T-Set, right? It's easy. Yeah. You see their billboards shaping our future. Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust. Yes. So this is, for those playing the T-Set is the fund, the endowment that was set up when Oklahoma was one of several states that sued Big Tobacco, we got a big chunk of change, um, and we put it away into an endowment so that we would protect it. We did it the right way. Like, we saved the money so that that would be the gift that keeps on giving. Most other states, uh, to quote one of my friends, basically had a kegger party with it. Yes. Um, North Carolina, <laughs> where the tobacco industry is like our oil industry. Like, it's huge there. They've got a really powerful lobby. Uh, they, they used their settlement money to give um, like uh, extra funding to tobacco farmers to like help them like turn over their crops to other stuff. Like they actually gave the tobacco money to tobacco farmers and their smoking rate is 16 points lower than Oklahoma's. We still have the highest smoking rate of the country even though we're the ones that did it right, supposedly. So that's a little crazy to me. Like I feel like I don't understand, and so many people have said this, um, 
why T-Set spend so much money in advertising T-Set? Like, they're not, why are they promoting themselves? The money's in the bank. Quit spending on commercials for yourself and maybe spend it on ways that actually impact smoking smoking cessation programs. Because it's not happening. And in fact, uh, this came up last year uh, when I was on Mitchell in the Morning with Scott Mitchell. We discussed this several times that teen or um, underage smoking rates in Oklahoma is directly tied to the amount of money that we receive from SAMHSA, which is the Federal Mental Health and Substance Abuse Agency. And that if, if youth smoking is over like 15%, then we get penalized. Then, then um, our mental health program is penalized. I don't understand. I don't know who set that up. But to say, all right, if teens smoke and do rant, then the state gets hit where it hurts, yeah. right? Why, isn't, why doesn't it hurt somewhere else? Well, it's and, like no child left behind, right? Like the school, the schools that aren't doing well have even more resources taken away from them. Right, right. That's right. You're not doing well enough. I'm going to remove your books. Yes. Now work harder. Now do better. Right, right. It's like when I'm running slow in a race, and then someone kicks me in the knee, and I'm supposed to win the race. No, that's not how it works. You can't cook a mother down. Keep kicking you in the knee until you figure out how to run faster. Right. But, but I'll just say, you know, I think that's what they're going to do. I think that, you know, I think they're going to pass what they came to 51 because cigarette tax won't pass and, it, and as you that's very good to point out like cigarette tax isn't going to pass because it doesn't have widespread support it does there's just i think a pretty strong philosophical agreement about right. whether or not that should be the only thing that we pass or whether that should be part of a much more comprehensive i mean this really comes down to what what do you think the budget hole is right there's an argument that the budget hole is the 215 million dollar hole that was created by the supreme court when this unconstitutional law was found unconstitutional 10 weeks ago or there's an argument that the budget is actually about $1.3 billion due to a series of policy decisions that have been made over the last 15 years. And so kind of depending on where you fall in that debate, I think will tell us a lot about where you kind of fall in terms of whether the cigarette tax should be the only thing they do or whether they should take up larger, more comprehensive measures. That's right. And in fact, that issue about... Um, is Oklahoma spending more money than ever was investigated by PolitiFact um, this week, on, on Tuesday of this week. They have an article um, challenging the postulate from OCPA, uh, which is the conservative-leaning think tank. They said state government spending is at an all-time high. The state is on track to spend more in this fiscal year, more than $17.9 billion, more than any time in state history. So... Someone at PolitiFact, which is a national organization, decided to look into it, and they got a mostly false rating. Um, the fact that they, the PolitiFact, who is like a uh, fact-checking organization, they do a lot of work. I do like that their highest lie scale is pants on fire. It does make me happy. Um, four, they, there's like four Pinocchios, right, and then pants on fire yeah, after that. That's right. So they tracked um, Oklahoma spending in current dollars and also in like constant $2009, so they adjusted for inflation back to 2009 and tracked it over time. And in current dollars, yes, we spend more money now, but a dollar today is worth more, is well, worth, worth less, less right. than a dollar was 10 years ago. And so when you look at it uh, in constant $2009, um, it's been flat or down a little bit from 2009, 2010. Yeah, there was an episode a few, uh, about three episodes ago, we talked a lot about the budget and income tax cuts. And we used 2009 as a baseline. I think in a lot of policy discussions, you see 2009 used as a baseline because that was immediately following the recession um, or like right around the time of the recession. So that's 
kind of when we go back to when we're measuring a lot of these things. My favorite quote from this PolitiFact article is um, uh, David Autry from OCBA says, working Oklahomans, taxpayers, aren't allowed the luxury of adjusting for inflation when their mortgage or rent comes due. Okay, well, no one no one does a time value of money calculation about that. But he also noted in the next paragraph, he said that OCPA adjusts for inflation when it looks at numbers over a longer period of time because, quote, readers may not have that kind of knowledge. So, like, <laughs> he was just like, well, they don't have the luxury. Poor Oklahomans can't, don't have the time to do that. And they may not have the knowledge to do it anyway, so we'll do it when it's convenient for us. I think that's my interpretation. So is that what the grant from the Koch brothers gets you? Is that... Yeah, I don't know. That's a complicated <laughs> thing, but they, it's just, these are, you know, I've uh, discussed how, I don't understand how mental health, how healthcare, how education, why, why, why are these partisan issues? No. I don't understand how math, like economics, widely respected, commonplace mathematics, one plus one is two. Uh, I don't understand why that is, becomes into a partisan thing. Like every economist... That's how, that's the standard you adjust for inflation, yeah. so that you can compare apples to apples accurately. Anyway, well, so yeah, I mean, the, just... the easy answer is you don't do it when doing so undercuts your argument, right? And it's important to note that I mean, this happens. This happens with think tanks and lobbying organizations all the time, all over the country, all over the state, on both sides of the aisle. Right. So this is not. I mean, this is not only an OCPA thing. I think you know. Yeah. Everyone... I mean, I'm you know my I work I work in healthcare. Um, you know, more and more, fortunately, in healthcare, more and more, we are having at one hand the luxury of relying on data to help us make recommendations to patients so that patients can make the best, um, you know, the most informed decision that they can. But it's kind of a luxury and a curse, right? Because if you're going to use data, you've got to know how to interpret data. And you can massage numbers to say, a lot of different things, and I think this is a great example, right? Well, there's the the old adage that there's lies, damned lies, and statistics, statistics right? right? Yeah. Um, but come on, this is serious. I just learned this in class, like a few months ago, um, how you you know discount stuff back to a common denominator. So the Politifact ruling at the end, uh, they say OCPA says its spending this year is on track to be the highest ever, while raw numbers show that this statement they made ignores the impact of inflation. A standard practice when comparing dollars over time. Factoring in inflation shows that real spending was higher in 2009 to 2011. When population and economic growth are added in, spending has been less, no, excuse me, spending has been higher over most of the past decade. The statement contains an element of truth, but ignores critical facts that would give a different impression. We rate this claim mostly false. Well, and Oklahoma Policy kind of did a, Oklahoma Policy did a similar analysis where they uh, where they actually factored in inflation, and you find that in 2017 fiscal year, excuse me, 2000 fiscal year 2018, appropriations by the state adjusted for inflation are down 15.9 percent across the board compared to 2009. Right. With some agencies enduring cuts of up to 40 percent. Right. So it's just, I mean, I wouldn't rate it pants on fire as much as I would rate it nonsense, but. Um, <laughs> right. It wasn't pants on fire. It was just mostly false. Well, most mostly false. They. But, they, you know, skewed it some in their favor, which, you know. But all, the, all, just, all that to say, if you're going to kind of go back to your question about what's going to happen next week with the governor. All right. So oh, here's right. A, here's a, so if you're going to if you're so I love sports. I love 
Uh, I love baseball. almost all sports. I do love I do love baseball, particularly in the postseason. I also love college football. Curling. Um, you know, I've watched curling. Table tennis. I have a friend who played in a curling league. I don't. I say played. I don't know if played. I was going to. I was played the you. correct verb in curling. Slid, iced, curled, curled. Maybe he curled in a curling. If any league. of you listeners are curling experts, please. Let us know. Uh, play, uh, comment on our Facebook page. We'll love it. Um, but uh, but if you were going to look if you were going to look at the if you were going to set in terms of percentage, if you were going to set an over under on whether or not Governor Fallon vetoes a budget that contains you know a hundred you know an appropriations bill that has one hundred fifty million dollars in revenue and then say two percent cuts across the board, what percentage would you give? Where, where would you set the over under? Right, so she said she will veto any budget that contains cuts to core services. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm not a gambler, and aside from a stray Powerball ticket when the jackpot's really high, but I. What's your threshold? Mine's four hundred million. I buy. I buy Powerball tickets when the jackpot's four hundred million or higher. That's fair. I want at two fifty. I start eyeing it, and then I usually forget because, about because three hundred ninety million isn't even worth my time. <laughs> no, when it's two fifty, I'll be like, you know, I should pay attention to this, and I usually I don't drive by a billboard anymore, so I forget about it until I see it in the news when it's up around five hundred million. So. Um, I truth be told, I've won twelve dollars ever on Powerball, and that was like the first year that we had the lottery here. Anyway, so I don't know how to do over under, but I will say that my guess is very low chance, less than ten percent chance that Governor Fallon would actually veto the budget. Yeah, I agree. And 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 <laughs> quite climactic. Yeah. Well, and, and quite frankly, the other the other piece of this is if she does veto the budget, things get a little bit interesting there too because it's not like well, that's she can't because we then the cuts would happen. Well, then the cuts would happen, but also I I think it would be interesting. Again, it would be horrible from a policy perspective, I think, but from a political perspective, kind of watching the watching the drama unfold, I think that they might have enough votes to override her veto. It's interesting to me. They only oh, because th- the Democrats might join in to not have it devastate the state. Right. Right. So, cause they only, they need 76 votes to raise taxes. They only need 66 votes to override a governor, gubernatorial veto. Right. Oh, so they can do it just Republicans yeah. in the house. And the problem is then I think you get into timing. Cause I don't think they can both vote on it on the same day. And you'd be pushing up against that November right. 1st deadline. And Man, I don't want them, and they don't either want to run the risk of DMH having to cut things for one day and then go back three days and then yeah. undo it. You know, you because people will just leave. Folks now are already looking for new jobs, and that's so. Even if everything stays okay, that means we're going to be less equipped to handle the already dire situation. Now, I do think what could happen likely won't. Again, I put this. Maybe even a lower, like less than 5% chance, but I like that there's a chance (laughs) that Governor Fallon could sign the budget as they pass it next week with, let's say, a 2% cut across the board to all agencies. And then she could call them back for another special session to fix those cuts. Now, here's why I think that there's a 95% chance she won't is that then everyone's like, man, that's another 30 grand a day for this. What are you doing? And they could gavel in and gavel out and say, oh, we couldn't find anything. And it would just be a political ploy. But I kind of like the gusto that she would have to show to be like, you know what, guys, like, dang it, I told you to fix this and you didn't. Come back and do it this time. And, like, keep calling it back. I don't know. It's a lot of money. Um, and then they could, pass it and then it's a half percent cut. And then she signs it. And then she calls, she calls back again. And it's right. But, like, and then, at some point, you just got to be like, yeah. listen, quit jerking us around and do the right thing. Right. Because. Well, this, I think I think part of the I mean, you're, yes, I agree. But I think part of the problem, and this kind of gets into a larger discussion that if if we have time, I think it'd be interesting to get into. 
is there is, I think, actual philosophical, real disagreement on what the right thing is, right? Like, I think that this gets into, I mean, I know what seems like it would be the right thing, but I think that there's, I think that there are people on both sides of the aisle that feel very passionately about what the best course of action here is, and they, both of them fervently believe that. Right. I mean, do you see, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Like, but like it's easy, it's easy for, it's easy for us to be on the outside looking in saying, do the right thing. Right, right. These are vital services. They need money. And my impression of right is different than what theirs is. Right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> right. And there's people who believe that the earth is flat. Well. And they're wrong. I mean, it kind of gets, well, so, I mean, it kind of gets, so this is kind of getting into, this is kind of getting into a discussion about, I mean, what do you think, not, not quite so much the role of government, not quite that philosophical, but what, what, I mean, it, it gets into that, what's the role of government, but it really specifically gets to tax policy. And I think that there are some fundamental differences between Republicans and Democrats on what the role of taxes should be when, if ever, they're appropriate. So, you know, we hear um, a lot of conversations, well, I hear a lot of conversations because this is the kind of thing I'm into, about, um, you know, there's kind of two big competing theories of economics politically. Now, I'm not an economics professor. We've already set up a pediatrician, so this is going to be, like, definitely over oversimplified. But, you know, we talk about, like, rate, like, Reaganomics, right? Like the Reagan tax cuts. Everybody talks about, you know, Reaganomics in the 80s and how Reagan cut taxes and it stimulated the economy. This is really looking at what's called Keynesian economics versus supply side economics. So Ooh, you're getting deep in the weeds now. I mean, so John Maynard Keynes, John Maynard Keynes, he's an economist who's a British he's a British economist from um, the like 30s and 40s who was trying to um, come up with an economic model that explained the Great Depression and the resultant recovery. And essentially what Keynes says is that the government, by spending money and putting money in the pockets of consumers, can stimulate demand, right? So the government spends money, sometimes at a deficit. When the government spends that money, that money goes into the pockets of the citizens. And thus they when demand the, goods. And when services. the citizens have money, they want to spend that money on goods and services. When they spend that money on goods and services, that money is then transferred from consumers to firms. Firms, in response to their demand, create increase supply. output and create right. supply. And this is how the economy grows. Right. Okay. So that's a very, very basic I like it. overview of John Maynard Keynes. Um, and for a long time, you know, Keynes was certainly considered one of the dominant players in macroeconomics and kind of explaining consumer behavior and monetary policy and these things. Well, there's an alternative kind of competing theory that's um, termed variously supply side economics. This yeah. is Reaganomics. This is what um, President Bush the first, Bush 41, called a voodoo economics when he was running against Reagan, <laughs> right? He was running against Reagan for the presidential nomination. Um, and, and, Supply-side economics basically says that when you look at a supply and demand curve, don't worry about what that is, supply is a vertical line. That supply does not necessarily respond to demand, only price does. And so if you want to stimulate the economy and lower prices across the board, you have to create the conditions 
where firms who supply goods and services can produce more. And the way they produce more is when they have more capital. And when they have more, the way that they get more capital is when they have to pay fewer taxes, when they have fewer regulations. And so supply side argue, supply side economists would argue that the way to stimulate economic growth is by having the lowest possible marginal tax rates, both on businesses and consumers, on businesses so they create supply, and on consumers so that they're stimulated to work, and also regulatory policy that um, allows businesses lots of freedom in how they produce goods and services. Right. So there's also monetary policy that goes in with this, and we're not even going like, to get into that at all because, right. no. Well, while you were talking, I think it was, you made some very valid points. This is good stuff. But I Googled voodoo economics because I wanted to fact check you. To make oh, sure no. Was, was I wrong? No, you're correct. But I thought it was interesting on Google. This has nothing to do with what you said. But that the, uh, the, it says people also ask, and the four questions it gave me were, what is meant by voodoo economics? Who was Bueller? <laughs> what is the trickle-down economics? Who was the teacher in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I was like, that's... Who is Googling Well, the voodoo? teacher was Ben Stein. Right. But like, who's Googling Voodoo Economics and Ferris Bueller's Day Off? This is... I want to meet them because we could be friends. Oh, we, we could be friends. That's, that's a person that I want to know. Right. No, I think the, the whole idea of the like right size of government that I, I, I've said before that no one wants to pay $1 in taxes more than they absolutely have to. And myself included. I mean, no, I don't Indeed. know. Absolutely. Not even the... Not the far right. Certainly not the far left either. Like, we're all... Everyone wants like... I believe there's a happy medium where you get what you pay for. And that's, I think, the difference is that the folks on the left side of the aisle tend to believe that if government does, that there's some core services that government is the best equipped to provide, right? We don't want private companies doing child welfare checks, right? Well, but but I think, I think though, that there are people that do. Right. And I, I don't know. It's weird to me because I, you know, like right another, there, I think there are people out there that would make an argument that yeah, a private company could do that more efficiently than a government agency. Well, Just the same in the same way that there are people who argue that a privately run prison, right. despite all evidence to the contrary, <laughs> is a better entity than a publicly run prison to the I, DOC. The difference, I think, if it's for profit or not for profit, too, because a for profit prison has an incentive to spend less money. A for profit child welfare organization has an incentive to spend less money. And it, listen, if you're going to be more efficient by paying your employees less than what DHS pays, I don't want you in our economy. Like, it's, we don't, you don't want to get seven bucks an hour to be involved in the lives of children right. in that kind of way. Um, and like in personal, intimate, invasive ways in people's families, and you're trying to heal really broken situations, that's not okay with me. Teachers are already way underpaid. We don't, you know, like by by putting your dollar with my dollar and 3.5 million other dollars in our state, suddenly we've got a lot of buying power and we can do maybe the right thing with it. But if it's just a little bit here and there, then those that have money get more and those that don't get less. Yeah. No, I no, I think you're right. I just think I I agree with you. I just think that I think that there are people who make the who and I think we have some of them in our state legislature who would argue that no, if we want prisons to be better run, we should privatize them. If we want education to have better outcomes, we should privatize it. If we want DHS to have better outcomes, we should privatize it. And I think my contention would be that both 
um, you know, people on the more conservative side of the aisle who would argue to privatize a lot more things and people on the more liberal side of the aisle who I think would argue more for, you know, to have, to have the government directly um, involved and in control of these things. I think that there are, I think that when the farther out to you, the farther out to the extremes you get, um, there's flaws in both reasoning, right? Sure. I think that I think that the, the far left thinks that government can do no wrong and that every ounce of bureaucracy is serving a purpose, which is clearly not the case. But I think that out to the far right, you get this this um, idea that a private company is always going to be more efficient than a government agency. To that, I would say you've clearly never tried to call AT and T and do anything, <laughs> right? right? Like, like. Just because something is private and for-profit does not automatically make it more efficient. It can be. And just because something is, just because the government is directly involved, you know, as in, in, in you know, administering education or, you know, uh, prison or mental health services doesn't mean that it's less efficient. We, you know what I mean? Like steps have to be taken in both circumstances to make sure that funds are being used appropriately. Right. Someone's got to monitor the monitors. Indeed. But that's, I think that's, that's where... Pink Floyd reference, in case you didn't catch that. Was that Dark Side of the Moon? It is Dark Side of the Moon. No, no, that. it's The Wall. Oh, well, I'll see. I, you got me letters straight. I started picturing the album cover, which is some really funky artwork on the inside, but... I just, you know, I just think... I I think that that's an important point to make because I think that, a, that we hear a lot... Of, I see a lot of people on social media saying the legislature just needs to do the right thing. And I agree with that. But I also think that it's easy to forget that I think most of them think that they are. Right. You know, most of them think they are. Now, I think that's a little bit crazy. <laughs> like, I don't know how... I I have trouble understanding how you can look at $181 million being cut from mental health services in the state of Oklahoma and think that you're doing the right thing. But... Maybe I'm not cynical enough, and maybe I'm naive. Those are entirely possible. But I think that I think that most of them think that they are, and I think that part of our job and part of what Let's Fix This has to be about is if you don't think this is the right thing, and your legislator is one of those people who thinks it is, then you need to pick up the phone, or you need to get on your computer and send an email, or you need to go to the Capitol and you need to tell them why you think this is wrong. Right. And even if you and if you do agree, if you think this is the right thing, do the same thing. We really want people to be involved. I, I mean, I'll be honest; I don't know anyone who thinks it's the right thing, but I'm sure I, there's folks out there. Right. I, um, neither do I, but I feel like it's important that we, you know, <laughs> right, cast a broad net there. Um, yeah. So I think this is a uh, interesting times to be alive in Oklahoma. Well, uh, as we kind of wind down this episode, I want to remind everyone of a few upcoming events we at the beginning at the top we discussed our bourbon fundraiser which is on november 3rd you gotta but, come yeah you gotta come but first um next tuesday october 24th uh, there is an event at the capitol i think there's several groups uh, after yesterday's press conference i know there's a number of groups that are planning to go to the capitol on tuesday to kind of advocate um i know some of us will try to make it up there i've got to see if i can take off work to go up there um, and maybe visit with my legislators. I haven't been able to catch them this special session yet in person. I've emailed them. Uh, so that will be, you can look on Facebook probably and find that. If I, We'll share the information once I find it. Um, but also next Tuesday evening, this is the 24th, 
October 24th. Um, at 7 o'clock, we're going to be in the city of Mustang at the Mustang Community Center for a little info and training session, kind of a meetup. Uh, we've done one in Norman. We've done several in Oklahoma City. We've done in Enid. We've done Mustang. In fact, Representative Leslie Osborne helped us um, find this location and get it set up. Um, she hopes to come. I'm reaching out to some other legislators from that area as well. Uh, Representative Osborne did highlight that they expect that they may be in session that evening um, or at least that day and so she doesn't know what her schedule looks like until we get there but we would love for you to come if you are out if you live in that area we're trying to do it after dinner so you can um, if, you know if you and your spouse if you have a spouse if one of you can come the other one has to stay with the kids or you know leave them with the grandparents or something um, but we would love for you to come and uh, get to meet you and we, we're going to discuss some of these same things we'll discuss the budget whatever has happened that day possibly and um, and kind of discuss what it looks like for 2018 and where we're at and and how you can get involved if you want that kind of next level information and discussion about how to be involved how to talk to legislators this is totally the event for you then the following week on tuesday that's november 7th uh, we're going to be at the paramount theater in oklahoma city for an event that we're doing with Oklahoma Watch and Women Lead Oklahoma. It's going to be a panel discussion. Uh, myself, Andy, uh, is going to be there along with um, someone from Oklahoma Watch and from Women Lead. Uh, and we are going to be kind of talking about the same kind of stuff about how to be involved. And we're going to kind of break down how you as a voter, as a constituent, can make the most impact at the city level and then at the state level and then at the federal level, and we're going to take some issues like education that kind of cut through like all vertically all those areas that there's funding at the local, state, and federal level and discuss like how that works, um, how a bill becomes a law and show you where to, where you have impact, where you have influence at every step on that process. Isn't there a cartoon about that? Um, yeah, but it's not accurate for Oklahoma. <laughs> um, it's not that simple, uh, but it it's, should be really helpful. It should be a great time at the Paramount Theater. Um, and then on Thursday, November 9th, uh, that evening, 8 o'clock, 8 to 10, we're going to have another West Wing watch party at the Wheeler Ferris Wheel. Which episode are we watching? Have we decided yet? I've got a few that I'm leaning towards we can discuss about off the air. If you, the listeners, are interested, if you've got a vote, I know several of you have chimed in already. Love to hear. Uh, I'm leaning towards a Thanksgiving episode since it'll be in November. Which one? Um, Shibboleth, perhaps. Shibboleth is a great episode. To me, that's one of the top five episodes. But I, you know, if the people have spoken, something else. Uh, I lately have been listening to. I'm a few episodes behind of the West Wing Weekly podcast, but the Twenty Hours in America, the two-part episode, such a great episode. I forgot how great it is until they've been discussing it. I want to go watch. He that. gave him the knife. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's such a good ending. Love Charlie. Okay, so. Uh, just to recap, October 24th, info and training session in Mustang. Um, November 3rd, uh, Bourbon, our fundraising event. And then November 7th is gearing up for 2018 is the event at the Paramount Theater in OKC. And November 9th, West Wing Watch Party at the Wheeler District. Um, all of those events are on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. They're all required. <laughs> Mandatory. There are no absences will be tolerated or excused. And they are also on our website, letsfixthisok.org. If you like what you hear, 
if you would please go to iTunes and leave us a review. If you think, man, this uh, weekly dose of wonkiness is exactly what I need in my life. Five stars. Five stars. Yeah. Then go, please, please get onto iTunes, leave us a short review, uh, give us a five-star rating and say that. If you don't like this, if you feel like, man, this is not really what I was into, these guys are wasting my time, I think they don't know what they're talking about, we want to know that too. We want this to be something that Don't serves. leave a rating though, just send it <laughs> We want this, we want the, we want the pod to be... the data here. We want, that to, we want the pod to be something that serves um, you know, the interest and the needs of the people that are listening. And we want it to really be a resource that you feel like you can count on to get good information, um, good kind of analysis, and feel like we give you you know action steps on how to engage so please um, reach out to us on iTunes through a review reach out to us on Facebook um, if you're uh, and, and and tell your friends um, the more people the more people that we have listening the more kind of uh, ways that we can we can leverage this into something that I think can really um, have a have a broad uh, impact that brings us to the end of our episode Scott it's good to see you likewise man everybody thanks for listening. Uh, remember, you can connect with us on Facebook. Uh, I just mentioned Twitter and Instagram. We are at Let's Fix This Okay. I am at Andy OKC on Twitter. Scott is at SC Melson. That's and Melson with an M, like Mary. Mary Melson. Not like Nancy. What's your mom's name? Uh, Carol. Carol, not an M. No. All right. And our website, letsfixthisok.org. You can also sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find details about all those upcoming events that we just mentioned, uh, some other resources, and buy tickets to the Bourbon fundraiser. To you, the required events. <laughs> Scott's going to flog you if you don't come. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me, and Let's Pod This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is generously provided by local heroes, your friends and mine, the sugar-free all-stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization, and we strive to educate and equip all Oklahomans so that you can engage with your government. We encourage you to get involved in any way you can. Remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Let's fix this, okay?